First of all, let's just acknowledge that it has been an amazing day of worship so far. Amen. It's been an amazing day. It's always good to sing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But um, this this morning, we're going to start a brand new series of messages. And so if this is the first day you've ever been here, you came on a great day. All right. We're starting a brand new series of messages, and it's centered around this idea of Jesus tweets. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you have a Twitter account? All right. That's a few more than the first service, but we're still working. How many of you don't have a clue what Twitter is? Well, okay, we got a couple. All right. So Twitter's this thing where um, it's it's been around for several years now, and it's exploded in growth. But it allows people to communicate with other people, read things, share things. But the catch is you have to do it all in less than 140 characters. And when you're typing out a tweet, when you're looking at it, whatever you're doing it on, they've got that countdown clock in the upper right hand corner that starts every time you type a letter, it goes down. And so you see how much it is. And I've heard this is the rumor I've heard. I've heard for long winded preachers, it's hard to get everything into 140 characters. All right. That's the rumor that's out there. And so um, but but it's this short, compact sayings. And there are some people that have made a major amount of money building reputations by being a good tweeter. All right. They got to come up with a better name for that. But that's what they call it. A good tweeter. All right. And so there are people that are really good at it. Really short people that are funny, people that are informative, people that say really good things. And I was thinking about that this week and I came to the conclusion that if Twitter would have been around 2000 years ago, Jesus would have been the greatest tweeter. Now, that's not something you need to put on Twitter or Facebook, all right? But he would have been amazing at it because he was able to say things that can blow our minds and change our lives in these short sentences. These little bitty phrases that he then takes and makes an amazing truth come out. And today we're going to look at one of those. Before we do that, though, I just want to ask a question and show you a picture and see if you remember these guys. Do you, anybody remember this? All right. Who is that? It's the Chilean miners, right? Do you all remember that? Four years ago, almost some guys were trapped in there. Sixty nine days. Trapped underground. Twenty three hundred feet underground. Can I just confess something to you? There are very few scenarios in life that you could come up with that would make me more uncomfortable than that. How many of you like tight spaces? Yeah, none of us. How many of you freak out when you get on the elevator? There are more like two people on there. You're like, I need my space. All right. I don't like enclosed spaces. I don't like being trapped. All right. Uh, In fact, um, I I can handle scary stuff like on TV or movies. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't phase me. I'm not a big, you know, people jumping out at you or wearing the mask, 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 whatever those are wearing that. It doesn't bother me. But if you like put somebody in an open grave and they start like filling it in or if they trap somebody somewhere and they can't get that, like I have to change the channel. I'm done with it, all right? Now, I was thinking about this week because when I was uh, 18 years old, um, you know, when you're a teenager, you just wonder why in the world your parents don't let you do more stuff. And then about 10 years later, you look back and go, how in the world did they ever let me do that? Right? 
are you here? Right. When I was 18, my parents allowed me and about eight of my good friends to go to this thing called Memphis and Mays Music Festival. All right. Now, I lived in Dyersburg. It was an hour and a half drive. We were 18 years old. We were still seniors in high school. And there was a group playing that we wanted to see. Now, I'm going to tell you the group. I'm not bragging about the group. I'm not, I don't want debates about the group. But the group, the Black Crows, were playing. And that, it was when they were just out, hard to handle days. They were a great live show. And we were going to go down there. And all my friends were like, man, our parents said, yeah, we got a hotel room. Like, I look back like, what were they thinking? That was ridiculous. So we, we go down there, and being people that, that weren't real, didn't know how the system worked, nobody showed up for those shows till like 8 o'clock at night. Because all day they had people playing that nobody had ever heard of. And we were there like at noon, right? Because, we're, we're, I mean, they let us out of school. For, we, we left school early. On, we got there. It was a Friday night concert. We were like, whoa, this is awesome. We're there. We're there at noon. And so we're watching the main stage. And we just stay there. Somebody go get something to eat. We go to the rest, whatever. We all just kind of stayed there. And so when the Black Crows came on that night, we were 150 feet from the stage. They got into the show, and it was amazing. And about 45 minutes into the show, they're playing one of the girls that was with us was like, I don't feel well. I think we're, I'm going to have to leave. So I turn around. And there are now 100,000 people between me and the exit. And suddenly, I no longer cared what was happening on stage. That feeling of life just coming in on you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like just started like overwhelming me in that moment. And I was like, what in the world are we going to do? None of us like to be trapped, but a lot of us find ourselves in that place in life sometimes. And in my years of experience of pastoring and talking to people about their life, I've discovered that there are three areas that really trap people. Their past, their present, and their future. And my guess is that all of us in this room here today have some aspect of that, that if we're not careful, will trap us and make us feel like life is coming in on us. It may be your past. You've done something that you can't get past. You can't get over. You can't get through. And I've heard that confession is good for the soul. So, so I'm going to ask some questions, but here's my deal with you. All right. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm only going to ask you to raise your hand at the end. Because if I ask you to raise your hand after each of these, it might get embarrassing for some of you. But I'm going to ask some questions, and then at the end, if any of those apply to you, I'm just going to have you raise your hand. And so, here's the question. Have anybody here ever made a mistake in life that you wish you could take back? Did you ever say something to a good friend that you wish you hadn't said? Did you ever make a financial decision that in retrospect wasn't the wisest, and it caused some issues? Did you ever find yourself in a relationship that wasn't the best, or a relationship that you really should have made work that you just ended. Did you ever lose your temper with a two-year-old? Hypothetically. Did you ever lose your temper with a 13-year-old? 42-year-old. Did you ever fall asleep during a sermon when you shouldn't have? I know who you are. Don't worry. I got a list in my office. Did you ever not fall asleep in a sermon that you wish you would have? It's probably the better question. Did you ever 
inadvertently do something that caused somebody else a whole lot of pain. All right. Anybody answer yes to any of those questions? Bunch of losers out here, aren't we? Man, I really. Our past, if we're not careful, it just strangles us. And I have met tons of people that just can't get over it. And they live based on who they were in elementary school or who they were in middle school or who they were in high school or what was said to them six years ago or what their mom told them or what their dad told them or what they were told. And they never move past it. Or there's a major event in life that they just can't get over. They're trapped. Maybe for you it's not your past. Maybe it's your present. It's a diagnosis that's happened recently in your family or... The financial situation you find yourself currently in and you keep looking at that bank account and nothing's changing in a positive direction. Maybe it's a dead-end job you're in or you think you're in a dead-end marriage and nothing seems to be going the way you expect. Maybe it's a relationship that seems to be what God intends for you, but it's just not going like you ought to. Maybe it's a job where people keep passing over you and you don't get where you need to go. And you're present You feel trapped. Maybe it's the schedule that never slows down. For some people, it's their future. The what ifs and the what thens and the, well, I don't know how we'll handle if. And you're trapped by your fear of what's coming. You know know what the number one fear of people is, right? It's public speaking. And number two is... Death. And so the old joke is, if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than on the platform. Y'all don't think that's funny, apparently. (laughs) But it's not something we talk about. Death's not something we talk about. We don't have dinner parties to have a good discussion about death. We sanitize it. We do away with it. We don't think about it. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in John chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John 11. If you didn't bring a Bible today, all this will be on the screen. You can follow along with us there. In a place where a family felt trapped. And here's all we're going to do today, all right? For the rest of our time together, we're going to walk through this story. I'm going to point out a couple of things as we go, but that's it. What I want you to see is, in the midst of this, is one of the most amazing statements. Less than 140 characters that can alter the rest of your life. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now a man was sick. Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, we don't know anything. If you've just read the book of John and that's all you've read, you don't know anything about Mary or Martha or Lazarus. But if you read other books of the Bible, you found out that this is a family that apparently Jesus was very close to. These were friends. Now, we if you've been in church at all or you know anything about church, you know that Jesus had these 12 guys that followed him and were his apostles. But there were lots of people that were around him. And outside the 12 apostles, there weren't people closer to Jesus than Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These were his friends. These were his people. In fact, we see in Scripture that on a holy week, most people think that he stayed at one of their houses and he would go back and forth between them during the week. These were the people that Jesus could walk into their house and could kick off his shoes and be who he was. These were his people. Verse 2, in fact, is going to tell us about Mary, and it's going to tell us, this is an interesting thing, John says this as if he's already talked about it, and yet John will not talk about it till the next chapter. He says, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. But he doesn't talk about that to the next chapter. 
But that story was so well known that people would go, oh, that Mary. It was her brother, Lazarus, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him. Jesus, here's a message. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, let's leave it there for just a minute. All right. A couple of things we see there. First of all is this is somebody that Jesus cares about. The, the word love there, by the way, is a word that means um, brotherly love, friendship, love, just a uh, man, great friends. We love each other. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. You help me out. Why are they sending a message to Jesus? Why do they want Jesus to know? I think of two reasons. First of all, because he's their friend. And when bad things happen or big things happen in your life, don't you want other people to know, to be with you, to know about it, right? You share it. Anybody guess a second reason? They want him to do something. They've been with Jesus and they have seen him heal people that were at the point of death. They've seen him give sight to the blind. They've seen him raise people that had just died. So, I mean, they know what Jesus is capable of. And when they look at him and say, Jesus, he's sick, what they're expecting is what? I'll be there right away. Look what it says in the next verse. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. These two sentences, the sentence I'm about to read and the one I just read, when they go together, they sound so strange. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he rushed off to see him. Is that what it says? He went as fast as he could to make it there in time. Is that what it says? He waited two days. Now, I want you to put yourself... In the place of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus for just a minute. Imagine your best friend in the world. I don't know who that is, but imagine your best friend in the world. And imagine that something tragic has happened in your life. A, a brother or sister is at the point of death. A mom and dad's at a point of death. A child is at the point of death. And you called your absolute best friend in the world and you get him on the phone and you say, listen, the doctors have said he doesn't have much time. The doctor said the family needs to come in and I need you here. And the person on the other end of the line says, I'll be there in a few days. That's what Jesus said, right? He loved them. So he waited. Now we're going to talk about what that means in a minute, but I just want that to sink in for a second. Because if you've been in church, if you know this story, you know what's going to happen, and so you're already at the exciting point. But I want the depth of the sadness and the hopelessness to sink in. You see, the reality, Easter Sunday is only... Great news, because the reality of life without it is so bad. Then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. In the next verse, he says, the disciples look at him and say, that's not really a good idea, Jesus. Rabbi, don't you remember why we left? We left because they tried to kill you. I don't think it's a good idea to go back right now. Let's just say, Jesus, do you want to? I mean, you may die. Now, Jesus, as he often does, doesn't answer them in the way that they want him to answer. Jesus gives them this kind of esoteric kind of discussion, this kind of out there discussion. 
Aren't there 12 hours in a day? And if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does not stumble or he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this and then he sees on their faces that they don't have a clue what he's talking about. Kind of like you right now. Right. And he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to go wake him up. And then the disciples, clueless as ever, respond. Lord, if he fell asleep, somebody else can wake him up. What is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about falling asleep? No, he's talking about what? Death. He says, listen, (laughs) Jesus, we don't have to go back. Don't risk your life. Listen, if he's asleep, somebody will wake him up. And Jesus, who at this point is probably thinking, by this time, you guys ought to be getting this. I can't believe you're not understanding this. Aren't you glad he never has to worry about that with us? Jesus, however, was speaking about death, but they thought he was speaking about sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And look at this. And I'm glad he did. You don't write that on a sympathy card, do you? I heard your brother died. Boy, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad that he was there, wasn't there. So that you may believe, so let's go. And then Thomas, who, if you know the, the story, Thomas becomes the doubting Thomas. Thomas, and I think there's some sarcasm. He's like, oh great, let's go. Let's all go get killed. All right. Let's go die with him, Jesus. He's going. Might as well follow along. We're going to our death. Verse 17. Here's where we get to the interaction. When Jesus arrived, here's what happens. They're inside Bethany. They're around. They're talking. Jesus arrives. He found Lazarus had been in the day four day, tomb four days. We'll talk about that in a minute. Bethany was here in Jerusalem. All these people had come out to Mary and Martha to comfort them. And as soon as Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. The the, the picture there is when Jesus gets to the outskirts of town, guess who's standing there? Waiting. Mary said, I'll just stay around here. The, The truth is, most people think Mary was just too grieved at this moment to move. So he gets there. And Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd been here. You ever ask the Lord for something? You ever ask God for something? You ever pray? Maybe you're someone that doesn't pray at all. And you finally break down and you pray and you pray and nothing happens. Lord, if you would just show up. God, if you were just here. If you would just do something. I know you can. If you just take this illness away. If you just help us with the finances in this area. If you could just help me with a better job. Or if you could just fix my marriage. I don't know how to, my kids, they they seem to be walking away from the Lord. They they seem to be going down the wrong track. I don't know how to handle that. If you could just fix that. And you hear silence and non-response. Martha looks at Jesus and in those words that you and I have to admit, if we've ever asked the Lord for anything, there have come moments when he has said no or wait or later. And in those moments, what we want to say is, if you'd been here. If you'd done something, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it. I want to say something to you real quick. I don't have any thought in my mind that she actually thought Lazarus was coming back from the dead. We'll see that in a few minutes. I think she was just saying, I need comfort. I need help. I need something. And you can do what you can do. You do. Jesus looks at her and says, Your brother will rise again. 
And she responds like all of us would. When somebody close to us dies and we talk about, oh, I know, I know. In the sweet by and by, some glad morning, when this life is over, it'll happen. I understand that. Someday, somewhere, at the end of time, when this life is done, yes, he'll come back. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's in a better place. He's gone to a better place. There'll be a family reunion. We'll get to see him again. But Jesus looks at him and then says one of the most amazing statements, short to the point, when he says, no, 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 Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though he dies, he's going to live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And in case we missed it, ever Do you believe me? Now, I want you to look at that phrase for just a minute, because here's what I think is important. Sometimes we focus, especially on Easter Sunday, on the word resurrection and that. And it is an amazing word. It is an unbelievable word because resurrection there doesn't mean resuscitation, which he's about to do for Lazarus. It doesn't mean just bring him back for a moment. It means a brand new body brought back from the life never to die again. And so Jesus is speaking about something bigger than just I'm bringing your brother back to life now. He's talking about something that is eternal and lasting. But then he uses a word on the second part of that that we don't focus on as much because we're so excited about the resurrection of Jesus and he says that I am not only the resurrection but I am the life and this is just one chapter after Jesus has said the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come to give you life and give it more abundantly and what he says to Martha is you're missing the point if you think this whole thing that I'm coming to talk to you about is down the road later some other time some other place in the distant future or the not too distant future I'm talking about life change right here right now today Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? And I love, Martha doesn't answer him that way. So he says, do you ever believe me? And Martha says this to him. Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah. It's almost like she's running through the list. I believe you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God who comes into the world. I got that. Yes. He doesn't say, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. You can do whatever you want to and that I will never die. Because I've just seen my brother die. She's thinking to herself, I don't want to talk to you about that. I understand who you are. I understand what you're teaching. I have followed you, Jesus. I have been with you. But my brother is dead and you weren't here to do anything about it. You ever had something tragic happen in your life and somebody tries to talk to you about something unrelated and you're just like, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Let me go on. Well, that's what's happening here. In fact, the next sentence lets us know that because it says, having said this, she went back and told her sister, Mary, it's your turn. The teacher's here, he's calling for you. And as soon as she heard this, she got up quickly. Mary hears that and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had left him. And so Jesus is still standing on the outside of the city. She's still waiting for him there. Verse 32 tells us, when Mary came to Jesus, saw where he was and saw him. People started moving out and seeing her and consoling her. You have to understand that they would have had professional mourners with them. So as they go out, these mourners follow. And Mary gets to where Jesus is. She falls at his feet in distress because she is so overwhelmed with emotion and grief. She doesn't hold it in like her sister Martha. And she falls at his feet. And what does she say? You've been here. Another way to say that is, where are you, God? Where were you, Jesus? My brother wouldn't have died. And then you have one of the strangest verses in Scripture. It says, when Jesus saw her crying, 
And the Jews who had come with her crying. Back in those days, they were professional mourners. And when they see Mary get up and start to move, they have to go, we got to go, we got to go, we got to cry with her, we got to go with her. Everybody come on, everybody out, cry, come on, let's go. But Jesus looks around and he sees all this and it says he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Now, I want to tell you something, okay? The word angry there is a strange word that means he was horse snorting. Now, anybody use that lately? I'm going to tell you, I'm just so horse snorting right now. It sounds like a great redneck word, doesn't it? It said that Jesus was snorting like a horse. Now, how many of you have horses, ridden horses, no horses? Okay, four for you, good. Why, why do horses snort? They're not happy. Maybe that's what I've been told. I've ridden a horse two times in my life. First one was an okay experience. The second one, I had a snorting horse. He was not happy. Scripture says he was angry. Horse snorting mad. Now, the question is why? There are all kinds of theories. He's mad at them crying. He's mad because they didn't believe him. I don't think any of those moved because he's, he's the one that waited. Here's what I think. I think Jesus is standing in the middle of a tragic situation and realizes it was never supposed to be like this. He is mad at the way the world has turned out because of their rebellion to him. Listen, if you ever look at this world and you look around and get angry angry at what's happening at the terrible evil that is a part of this world, imagine how angry you would be if you're the one that created it. He's mad about it. This is not supposed to happen. The grief is not supposed to be here. He feels it. The word deeply moves means that he was with them in that moment. He says to them, where'd they put him? They say, come see. And then one of the shortest verse in all of Scripture, the first verse any of you ever memorized, right? It says, Jesus wept. In that moment, we're reminded that the God of the universe, the Savior of the world, entered into our existence and knows what it's like to feel. The word there is not an uncontrollable wailing. It's actually a word that means that a single or two teardrops trickled down his cheek as he assessed the situation. It's almost like the one that's trying to hold their emotions in and they just can't. Some people see him and they say, boy, he must have loved him. Some others see him and say, he opened the blind man's eyes. Wouldn't he, couldn't he have got here and kept him from dying? Verse 38. Jesus, horse snorting in himself again, comes to the tomb. But the word here has a different meaning. It's a resolute determination. It is the description of a warrior going to battle. And he stands in front of the tomb. There was a cave. And just to give you an idea of what was happening, there would have been a stone and there would have been a cave. And there were probably in that day, in that tomb, there may have been up to eight bodies in there. They would have hollowed out a cave. They would have put shelving there, three on each side, a couple on the back. And that's where they would have laid bodies. In fact, and this is just a little note for you, extra bonus. 
There are some people that said Jesus had to say the word Lazarus come forth because with his power, if he would have just said come forth, they may have had eight bodies coming. Right? He didn't want that at the moment. So he gets to the cave and he says, remove the stone. And Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord. Now, if you have a King James version of the Bible, it has my favorite phrase from the King James in it. It says, Lord, he stinketh. He's dead. The odor will knock us down. Don't open the stone. It's done. In fact, she says it's been four days. Now, you'd say, what's the difference between one day and four days? Well, in Jewish thought, they thought. Now, I'm not saying this is biblical thought. Understand that this is Jewish thought. They thought that the soul hovered around the body for three days. Waiting for a chance to go back. But when day four arrived, the soul departed and it was done. Over. Jesus waited two days. He hears it one day. He waits two days. He gets there on the fourth day. Here's the reason. Because everybody around there, this wasn't like the little girl that had just died that Jesus goes and speaks to. Her soul may have still been hovering according to them. This was done. Over. Hopeless. No chance. And Jesus is going to show to us that because of who he is and the resurrection that would come from him, that there is never a hopeless situation when Jesus is involved. It's been four days. He stinks, Jesus. No. Jesus looks at her and resolutely says, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, I love this, Dad, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I love this. I know you've heard me. I know you always hear me. I'm saying this because I'm about to blow these people's minds. They have never seen anything about like what they're about to see. It's going to so amaze them. They're going to know where it came from. And I want them to know first and foremost, without any doubt that it has come from you. So God, thank you for hearing me and that I may be able to show them that I am who I say I am. And then it says that he shouts. In case we don't know what the word shout means, with a loud voice. Lazarus! I'm just reading the scripture, all right? Come out! And the dead man. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Some of you are like, no, I would not love to have been there. Are you crazy? No. I'd love to have been there. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen shirts. Now, this isn't, this isn't like a mummy, you know, like walking like this. It would have been bound. He would have been like this, but he's coming out. And his hands and feet and strips and his face is wrapped in cloth. They can't see. He's walking out of this tomb. The cave's coming out. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. I mean, that's good, isn't it? Apparently not. It's good. Here's what I want you to see, because this happens the week just right before Jesus enters the Jerusalem for the last week. And it's a foreshadowing. You know what that is, right? It shows forth what's about to happen. And what Jesus is showing is that he has power over death, that he has power over sin, that there is no foe that is big enough to defeat him. And just a few days later. 
He's going to be on a cross. He's going to be dying for the sins of the world. And there's going to come a Saturday when instead of Mary and Martha, although they were probably there, but instead of them crying and wailing and saying, if you'd only been here, why didn't things change? It's the disciples and the group in the upper room as they're crying over, thinking about what are we going to do now? We've been trapped. Our past was with Jesus and he's gone. Our present, we don't have a clue what we're going to do now. And our future is undetermined. What are we going to do? We are trapped because we gave our lives. And we went all in for this guy that is in a tomb across town and isn't getting out. Now, you would have thought somebody in the midst of that would go, hey, guys, don't you remember when he said that the son of man will be delivered and will die three days later? Like, maybe we ought to get up early tomorrow and go check some things out. Like, somebody would have gone, didn't he talk about destroying the temple? I think that was about him. Like, maybe we need, but none of them do. From what we have in Scripture, none of them do. In fact, the only people that go to the tomb next day are going to make sure his body is wrapped like Lazarus and everything is good like it should be. And on that morning they get there and it says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Jesus has power over sin and death. And here's what that means for you and me. When he declares, I am the resurrection and the life, you who believe in me, although you die, you will live is that there are no hopeless situations and there's no such thing as being trapped when you're following Him. And I don't care what your past is. And I don't care what you're in in the present. And I don't care what you're scared about in the future. If you're a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ and trust in Him, He can set you free. Loose Him and let Him go. He can handle anything that's in your past. He can handle anything you've got on your plate in the present. He can handle anything the future is going to bring at you. But you have to trust in Him and believe in Him and trust that He is the resurrection and the life. So my question is about what you've done. There are no hopeless situations when Jesus is involved. And I don't know what's going on in your life. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to be standing down front This place will be open if you want to come and pray. There's some of you today that need to turn your life over to Jesus for the very first time. You're in a hopeless situation. Your past or your present, your future is hopeless. You don't know what to do. Jesus wants to handle that and say, come forth. It's time to be free. There's some of you that you're here because it's Easter. We're so glad you're here. But today the Lord's saying, it's time. It's time. There's some of you that don't have a clue you're going to get out of whatever situation you're in. And the Lord has a plan. But you're going to have to believe and trust Him. And so this morning, I'm just going to ask you to do, respond with every way God intends for you to respond. Let's pray together.